This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast. We'll pick up today from The Young Turks, The Jimmy Dore Show, The Onion Radio News, The David Pakman Show, The Majority Report, The David Feldman Show, Howdyland.com, and Johan Hari. And a note for our more sensitive listeners, this episode casts religion in a fairly negative light. Shield your ears now if needed. Now, Catholic nuns have been very outspoken against uh, Paul Ryan's budget, and that's because of how it creates wealth inequality. So people making over a million dollars would basically see a 12.5% increase in their income after taxes, but people making less than $20,000 would only see, would actually see 0.2% less in their income after taxes. So the poor get poorer, the rich get richer, literally in this tax plan. And here's my favorite part, and this is from a nonpartisan Center for Budget and Policy Priorities. So they just this is not a matter of a democratic point of view on this or anything like this. They look at the raw numbers. And two-thirds of the cuts proposed in Ryan's budget would come from programs serving low-income Americans. So uh, they do massive tax cuts for the rich, and they pay for it by literally taking the money out of the programs for the poor. Now, if you care about helping the needy and the poor, as good Christians are supposed to, well, you would be concerned about that. And it turns out that there are a lot of nuns who are concerned about that, much to their credit. Now, uh, conservative radio show hosts are not in favor of the nuns protesting the Ryan budget. In fact, Jan Mickelson uh, recently spoke to uh, a representative, Tom Lathan, and here's what he had to say. There's a bus, a bus full of nuns uh, headed to, towards Washington to lobby against the Ryan plan. Could you guys, you have any power to pull that uh, the nuns on the bus over no. and pistol whip them? No. Oh, gee. It's always fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, they say that he is evil. They say he's a fake Catholic. They're the ones that threw the first punch. Yeah, they're the ones that uh, threw the first punch by trying to defend poor people like they're supposed to do, right? Now, these are the same nuns who were chastised by the Vatican because the Vatican said, you're concentrating too much on the poor. I love that because that's what Jesus would want to hear from religious authorities. Hey, cut it out with all the talk about the poor people, okay? And the needy? Oh, who needs them? Right? So they're saying, no, we wanted you to concentrate more on gay marriage and abortion. Abortion is not even mentioned in the Bible. Gay marriage is not, gay issues are not mentioned by Jesus Christ at all in the Bible. So take the things that Jesus doesn't talk about and emphasize them. And take the things that Jesus talks about over and over and over again in the New Testament and shut up about it, right? So now this guy takes it to a new level. Ha <laughs> ha, yeah, you know what's a real Christian thing to do? To pistol whip a nun. Yeah, we're the good Christians. Now, but look at that, right? I mean, it's, it's a topsy-turvy world. The guys who are in favor of doing violence against nuns and, 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 and taking away from the poor and giving it to the rich are considered the real Christians in this country. Like, if you ask anybody, because of the media influence, et cetera, et cetera, who is, which is the party that's more in favor of Christians? Well, how many Americans would say Republicans? Most of them, right? They'd be like, oh, well, the Republicans are the Christians, right? No, no, they're the ones that are the exact opposite of what Christianity should do if you actually yeah. cared like the nuns do. Yeah, look, this macho thought process is a real problem with religion. And oftentimes when we do uh, stories that denounce religion, it's because we're talking about religious fundamentalism. But even with mainstream religion, like Catholicism, you're seeing people moving to the extreme right, to the point where you can't even defend them. Now, what the nuns are fighting for 
uh, are the same things that we talked about when I went to church. That's what I remember of Christianity, Catholicism, talking about helping the poor, helping the needy. That's what religion used to be about. And that's the positive, uh, I think those are the positive elements of religion that our own viewers believe in, right? But then when you have uh, the Vatican talking about, no, 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 let's forget about that, the main purpose of our religion and our morality, and let's focus more on something as stupid as taking people's rights away, I mean, you lose all credibility. You're on the same page as fundamentalists in my book. When you're talking about pistol whipping and using violence against nuns, you're a fundamentalist in my book. Yeah. Here's who Jesus would have thrown out of the temple first. The guys who went around pretending that religion and, and Christianity and spirituality meant that you help the rich and take from the poor. That's the first guys he would have grabbed by the ear if you believe in what the New Testament says. He would have grabbed by the ear and thrown him out. Look, he, that's part of why Jesus didn't like organized religion. Why? Organized religion becomes corrupt. And what does it do when it becomes corrupt? It protects the rich and the powerful and hurts the poor and the powerless. And so the nuns are trying to fight back against that. And that's why now Republicans and conservatives and the Vatican, they're all so frustrated that now it's gotten to the point where they're talking about violence against the nuns. I know, he was joking. It's really funny. Ha ha. Let's pistol whip a nun. Ha ha, that's so funny. That's the Christian thing to do. the existence of God? That personal question was recently asked by the Pew Research Center. The result? 68% of Americans under the age of 30 say they have never doubted the existence of God, but 31% have. And for the USA, that's a big number. Man, at that rate, a whole generation of young people will grow up without the joy and comfort of a crippling fear of God. <laughs> okay. Among Americans 65 years or older, just 9% have doubted the existence of a deity, while 89% are people of faith across the board. Did you hear that st statistic? Of people 65 and older, only 9% have ever doubted the existence of God. 9% of people 65 and over? Do atheists die before they get to 65? <laughs> well, as uh, I heard Martin Mull say one time, uh, an agnostic is an atheist who's 68. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so there's a little bit more. Catholic Church, and I'm a Catholic, Michelle, as you know, must know, is about 25%, 24% now going to Mass on a weekly basis. Very, very low. Um, and nothing like it was even uh, 15 years ago. But there's a more, there's, the public schools have a lot to do with this, I think. Yeah, he said. He, so he blames the public schools for people not going to church they anymore. Don't, they don't maybe have it's religion. Yeah, maybe it's because the the church is the last place they got molested. I don't know. <laughs> so you're looking at the pre-rape numbers. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I blame public schools for those numbers not being higher. Yes. Yes. What? Oh, you, what? I don't know. What? I don't follow the, that. It should be eighty percent have questioned the existence oh, of God. Right. And if our schools were doing a good enough job, they would tell them, "How about you do a little critical thinking." 
and question this thing of which there is no proof whatsoever. But in Texas, the, the public school textbooks say that Jesus signed the Constitution. So that's pretty hard. <laughs> if our schools were doing a good job, it would be a, a, like 128%. <laughs> yes, but you see, right, guys? Am I right? What? Go to Especially, Jim, if, no, if schools were doing a good job, 80% of the kids would have questioned God and 40% would not have. <laughs> <laughs> that's the same joke in a little different way. Okay, you know, and, and if our younger generation loses its religious faith, how will they even know which people they're supposed to hate or when to feel ashamed of their peepees? <laughs> that's that's my biggest question. Okay, so and on the bright side, it gives us one more reason to take teachers' pensions away. That's what I like about it. Okay, so here we go. He bl he blames public school. Heck, does anybody ever blame God for this? <laughs> when does seems God to be the culprit? Yeah, when does God ever take responsibility for stuff that goes wrong? I don't know. Okay, here we go. And he, by the way, teachers how have such a heavy workload, it's all they can do just to turn students gay. <laughs> okay, here we Where spirituality has been totally wiped out of the curriculum in all American public schools. You can't talk about anything spiritual at all. And by spirituality, he means Christianity. Can you imagine if they taught spirituality but it wasn't Christianity, the uproar, if they taught yeah. yoga yeah. or meditation mm -hmm. or... right. Connecting to nature or something that, that didn't fit into their idea of spirituality. Yes. You know, I just want or, more math at church. That's what I'm really looking for. <laughs> That's what the collection basket's for. <laughs> yes, exactly. I had, to get, I had to give an oral at church. Is that a Whoa. thing? Whoa. Whoa. Whoa, come on. <laughs> Where spirituality has been totally wiped out of the curriculum in all American public schools. You can't talk about anything spiritual at all, or it's church and state, and, and this, that, and the other thing. They, they're fainting, they're throwing up, it, it's crazy. And, and you combine Maybe they're just nauseous. But Is he talking about the public schools or Beatlemania? <laughs> he's talking about a, a, a typical Baptist meeting. I think, I think he's watching the movie Cloverfield. <laughs> Okay. They're speaking in tongues, they're throwing up, they're fainting. Where did that come from? I don't get that, that they're oh, throwing up and... Yeah, if you mention God, that's what the liberals oh. do. That's what you liberals do. Well, look, I think it's important to note that this poll doesn't say that young people are disbelieving in God. It's that they're skeptical More of skeptical, them. right. Yes, exactly. But that's, but that's no... Yeah, that's where it begins. People become skeptical of superstition. The next thing you know, they're thinking for themselves. And then what are you going to do? I, by the way, I think this is like rape statistics. I think more people are admitting it than they used to. Oh, you mean that they that? Oh, I see what you're that saying. They're skeptical. Used yeah. to be that people wouldn't admit that they were skeptical yeah, of God, but that's now that's a good point. Yeah. Okay. That's Probably. no surprise, though. I if you talk to any young person, they will tell you that being a Christian or believing in God is now, there's a social stigma attached to it. You why? go to universities. Why? Why because you're raping children. That's why. <laughs> and then covering it up. That's why. And well, you go to universities and professors are telling their students that people who believe in God are, are Christians, are, are Republican. And That's right. Exactly. And they're the ones who don't believe in science, are destroying the planet. They treat homosexuals as lesser beings. That has an effect. All of this misinformation okay. has an effect on so kids. Misinformation? First, I think it's information. That's called that's called accurate information. <laughs> uh, let's hear her litany again of stuff that uh, they in the, colleges that they tell kids about. Uh, Republican. And, that's right. Exactly. And they're the ones who don't believe in science. Okay, they don't believe in science. They 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 don't believe they don't they believe in evolution. They don't believe in evolution, and they don't believe in the science of of climate change. Those are the two big scientific issues of our day, and they don't believe in them. 
are destroying the planet. They are destroying the planet. They're against environmental laws. They want more drill, baby, drill. Is there a solution to everything? Mm -hmm. They don't care about, they don't want carbon taxes. They don't want cap and trade. They don't want anything that helps the environment. What are you talking about? Okay, ready? They treat homosexuals as lesser beings. That they, they treat homosexuals as lesser beings. They don't want them allowed to be being married. These are all three things that are accurate. And she's saying these are phony reasons why people, uh, young people turn against Republicans. That's exactly why they do, because those things are all true. I feel like I'm trying to convince you guys who are already convinced. <laughs> you sold us. Yeah, okay. You guys She's are... telling them that uh, um, the media is is teaching kids who've, who've been molested by priests that kids are being molested by priests. <laughs> <laughs> Those kids need to be taken to the Intelligent Design Museum <laughs> and, and theme park. Yes. You know, it's amazing, though, that these uh, right-wingers who, who claim that public school teachers are horrible human beings incapable of teaching kids anything yet at the same time they're experts at liberal indoctrination mm -hmm, they yeah. can get them oh that's like a snap they can do that but they can't mm -hmm. teach them math vision and in films such as juno or saved we're always every time there is a religious character they're always the idiot they're always the uncool yeah, I mean, one first of all it's not that you don't have to worry about the christians looking like idiots in movies okay <laughs> it's in real life and that you juno was i thought pro-life people like juno she goes to an abortion clinic yeah. she decides not to have one she has the baby she puts it up for no, adoption but even idiot. that isn't good enough for them it's a pro idiot movie. even people on the right have schadenfreude toward diablo cody it's weird <laughs> yeah but she's but she's really bored while she's doing it i think that's what they're arguing they're, oh this pregnancy is so boring why don't they point out that a, that a, that a teenager in a rural town would not make a soupy sales reference? Which <laughs> she did. She did? Yes, yeah, she did, which yeah. I made me like the movie, actually. But. One of the things I think, we're seeing more kids go to college. We have so much information out there. And I think, Bill, it's more accepted and less taboo nowadays to question the existence of God and to have such questions. And there's so many uh, sources and resources, not only online, but in books, etc. So I think... I even know for myself, uh, I've read a lot of these things that I wouldn't even, and asked a lot of questions I wouldn't dare do uh, in college and wouldn't have dared spoken well, to my well, parents about Well, I don't understand. I was in college and I asked questions all the time in my theology courses and challenged the prevailing wisdom. But it's... Oh, oh, yes. question he was asking in college was, hey, honey, why don't you drink the rest of this Boone's Farm wine? <laughs> <laughs> this is a big question. Does this have to be on the test? Yeah. I he like, opposes any kind of wisdom. Bill, Bill challenging his professor is more like, this class was supposed to be over four minutes ago. <laughs> it comes down to a belief system. You're not going to prove or disprove any kind of a deity situation in a classroom Correct. or so, on a program. You're not. You either believe or you yeah. don't. So if you can't disprove the existence of God in a classroom, then what the hell is Bill O'Reilly worried about? That's the obvious question. Am I wrong? Well, you know, Jimmy, you know, frequently, you know, when I, I teach high school and every day when we start class, my students, we usually sit down, bow our heads and we pray to God and we ask for guidance to question the higher power and if he really exists. Amen. Okay. <laughs> that's, you know, that's exactly what they think you're doing. That's exactly <laughs> what they think you're doing. Honest to God, they think you're doing that. And let me just say, if people's religious faith is hanging by a thread anyway. Don't blame the atheists for making them doubt it. You know, you know what? If people want to have a religious faith, and this isn't even a joke because it's from personal experience, if you want to have a spiritual faith, 
become an alcoholic and then go to a 12 step program because <laughs> then you'll, you'll, you'll believe in a higher power. Okay. Well, I have one more. It seems like a long way to go to believe in a higher <laughs> yeah. power. It really, really does. I have one more clip. It's better than, than going to Catholic <laughs> church. Yeah, I agree. And it is apparent that younger Americans, Michelle, are going away from the belief system as this is exactly what happened in Europe. Exactly what happened. Little by little, they started to go away. And now, even in countries like Italy and France, which used to be very religious countries, not anymore. And I think that... So, so that's Bill O'Reilly just letting his viewers stay comfortably afraid of godless Europe. Yeah, I mean, Italy, uh, the Vatican is now just in a room in the back of some guy's apartment. <laughs> I do long, I do long for the the old religious days of fascism. <laughs> Might happen in America. Well, yeah, and we have all of these famous atheists such as Dawkins that now have books that are aimed at yeah, children, but he got aimed his butt at kicked on this program, Dawkins. I mean, he, I kicked his butt all over the place. No, you didn't. No, no, first of all, no, you didn't, Bill. And second of all, tides go in, tides, tides go out. <laughs> That's Bill's version of kicking a guy. Yeah. He said something mm -hmm. that half the world made fun of, and that's his version of kicking a guy's yeah. ass. And yes. you want, if you want uh, kids to believe in God, maybe you start stop sending them uh, off to go to war because they can't pay for college. Right. All right, Leslie, I'm giving you the last <laughs> word. You're not a pagan, are you, Leslie? Okay, now, so he turns to who's supposed this woman is supposed to be the quote-unquote liberal on his panel, and he asks, now, you're not a pagan, are you? And here's what she says. No, I believe in God. Just doing this bill, what the uh, human body has to do. She's moving her pinky. She's moving her pinky up and down. And she says, just doing this bill with the human body. In order for that to happen is pretty miraculous. In order for that to happen is pretty miraculous. So she's saying, this is how I prove there's a God, because I can move my finger, and it's really complicated to have this happen. I, I can mean. prove there's a God if you pull my finger. <laughs> <laughs> And, and 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 so that's what she's saying because because it's so complex. That's all. you know what you know what else is complex? Evolution. <laughs> <laughs> Evolution's pretty complex. Well, early in the morning, about the break of day, I asked the Lord, help me find a way, help me find a way, way. to the promised land. This lonely body needs a helping hand. Catholic nutritionists warn of transubstantiating fats. It's the Onion Radio News. This is Doyle Redland reporting. The results of a five-year study by the Vatican Center for Health and Fitness have found that transubstantiating fats may increase the rate of heart disease among devout Catholics. Papal nutritionists now recommend that regular churchgoers limit their Eucharist to once a week. Catholic nutritionist Dominic Carver. The body and blood of Christ contain unusually high levels of holy lipids. Uh, if he hadn't died on the cross for our sins, he likely would have died of a heart attack within a week or two. Clergy plan to counter the effects of transubstantiating fats by blessing antioxidant-rich green tea to create the sacramental bile of Christ. Doyle Redland for the Onion Radio News. 
Pastor John Hagee is um, a senior pastor at Cornerstone Church in San Antonio, Texas. It's this one of one of these uh, non-denominational mega churches. It has more than 19,000 active members. He went to the uh, to his congregation, I guess is the way to say it, and he was telling atheists to leave the country because they're not wanted and they won't be missed. Here's what Hagee had to say in what is clearly a passionate and intelligent intelligent speech exactly saying that the ten commandments have been taken out of the courtrooms and out of the schoolhouses lest we offend the atheists let me be, 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 be very clear this country was not built for atheists nor by atheists it was built by Christian people who believed in the Word of God alright so let's stop there for a second actually it's the founding fathers that would be the ones offended by having religion in the classroom because they're the ones who made very very clear that we needed total separation of church and state not somewhat separation not separation of church and state except when it comes to christianity or particular brands of christianity so it's not the atheists that that would be offended uh, specifically if we really want to go back it's the founding fathers that would be offended by mixing of religion with uh, public schools, for example, or with the state. Absolutely. Hagee seems to be forgetting that, but let's keep listening to what uh, the good pastor has to say. To the atheist watching this telecast, if our belief in God offends you, move. Yeah. There are planes leaving every hour on the, on the hour, going every place on planet Earth. Get on one. We don't want you, and we won't miss you. I promise you. He promises. Hmm. It's good that he's very gonna, fiery. Yeah, yeah. So this guy has to be doing more than uh, almost anyone could to actually help the atheist cause, don't you think? Because he's so outrageously nuts. Oh, yeah. 100%, yeah. To give you a little background This guy about is the reason that atheists <laughs> exist. <laughs> right. If it weren't for people like this, there would be no atheism, right. maybe. Yeah. So, Hagee, um, in 2007, Hagee said he doesn't believe in global warming. He has spoken out, obviously, against homosexuality. I mean, if you are a pastor of a 19,000-person church, it's almost a requirement that you be anti-gay. Um, he has spoken out against homosexuality. He actually linked the presence of homosexuality in New Orleans to Hurricane Katrina. Uh, and he said it was, it was uh, Katrina must have been an act of divine retribution. He said in 2006, I believe that New Orleans had a level of sin that was offensive to God, and they are were recipients of the judgment of God for that. The newspaper carried the story in our local area that was not carried nationally, that there was to be a homosexual parade there on the Monday that Katrina came. That's pretty logical, right? Hmm. There was going to be a parade to reference the importance of rights and so God sent Katrina. Perfectly logical. It has nothing to do with, with weather at all. No, uh, weather no. patterns, I mean even Pat Robertson understands weather patterns. Right. In 2005 in his book Jerusalem Countdown, Hagee said that uh, the Bible, he interprets the Bible to predict that Russia and the Islamic states will invade Israel and will be destroyed by God 
This will cause the Antichrist, the head of the European Union, to create a confrontation over Israel between China and the West. Very logical. He has blamed the Holocaust on Jews themselves. He said that Hitler's persecution was a, quote, divine plan to lead Jews from the modern state of Israel. He calls liberal Jews poisoned and spiritually blind. Of course, conservative Jews, uh, I guess, are okay. He also admits that the preemptive nuclear attack on Iran that he favors would lead to the death of most Jews in Israel. So this is a guy we want to be listening to, isn't it? This is a guy, apparently, that 19,000 people want to listen to. <laughs> you can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Okay, what, what do you think is the best thing, the thing about the show that is best and most appealing to, to somebody who listens or watches? Because we cover everything and we do it well. <laughs> Why do you think people watch the show? I think that it's a completely different angle. I don't think it's about being expansive or up-to-date. I think it's 99% of media that's out there is giving one story, it's giving a particular point of view, and it's also not covering certain stories. So I don't know that it's about being up-to-date or expansive. I think it's, it's a well, non- Well, that's what I said. We cover everything. We don't cover everything, Lewis. How can we cover everything? We cover eight to ten stories. Everything important, pretty much. Well, if that doesn't make you curious, I don't know what will. Check out The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. Go tell that long-tongued liar Go and tell that midnight rider Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter Tell him that God's gonna cut him down Tell him that God's gonna cut him down You recall the story out of uh, Louisiana about that Republican lawmaker who was very upset to find out that the educational reform she had passed would also fund Muslim schools, not just Christian schools. Well, over at, uh, I think it's uh, Atlanta, the uh, Washington Monthly, people have been digging in also to the other aspects of this Bobby Jindal education reform. You know, we've heard the idea of vouchers and charter schools are all a function of trying to find new solutions and accountability for education. Well, it turns out that there is no of the vouchers that uh, schools get in Louisiana, according to Ed Kilgore, there is no holding of any of the private school beneficiaries accountable for results or for common curricula or much of anything. In other words, you can say that the public schools are failing. You take money that was earmarked for these public schools. You give it as a little bit of a rebate, I guess, to people who want to send their kids to private schools or Christian schools. And there's no accountability for those other schools. big chunk of the money is already out there is being snapped up by conservative evangelical schools with exotic and hardly public-minded curricular offerings with the theory being that any public oversight would interfere with the accountability provided by the market Reuters goes on to talk about some of these schools 
The school willing to accept the most voucher students, 314, is New Living World in Ruston. It has a top-ranked basketball team, but no library. Students spend most of the day watching TVs in bare-bones classrooms. Each lesson consists of an instructional DVD that intersperses biblical verses with subjects such as chemistry or composition. At Attorney Christian Academy in Westlake, pastor-turned-principal Marie Carrier hopes to secure extra space to enroll 135 voucher students, though that she now has room for just a few dozen. Her first through eighth grade students sit in cubicles for much of the day and move at their own pace through Christian workbooks, such as a beginning science text that explains, quote, what God made on each of the six days of creation. They are not exposed to the theory of evolution. We try and stay away from all those things that might confuse our children, says Carrier. Your tax dollars, via vouchers, funding these schools that are supposedly better than public schools. The Louisiana Budget Project uh, says that Louisiana requires virtually no accountability from voucher schools. Voucher students are required to take the same assessment tests as public school students, but there are no penalties for private schools if they fail to measure up to their public counterparts. In fact, Governor Jindal vetoed language in 2011 appropriations bill that would have removed participating schools if their students' scores lagged those in the lowest performing schools in the recovery school district, which incorporates most New Orleans public schools. In other words, you can suck as a private parochial school, still qualify for funding from the state, whereas if you're that bad and you're a public school, they start to chip away at your funding. Enjoy, Louisiana. I don't know how stupid you are now, but you're about to get a lot stupider. Unbelievable. Vouchers are all about making schools better for the kids. Why would you not give poor people the same opportunity to go to a private, albeit crappy, private school with tax dollars, destroying the public school system? Jesus is questioned for accepting tithes from lobbyists. It's the Onion Radio News. This is Doyle Redland reporting.
Our Lord Jesus Christ was called before a congressional grand jury today to answer charges that he accepted tithes from corporate lobbyists in exchange for preferential blessings. D.C. consultants have allegedly given the Son of God up to 10% of their income in exchange for the passage of deregulatory bills. Christ's lawyer, Jerome Kearney. Jesus has accepted money from these men, not as payoffs for ill deeds, but his gifts expressing love. The Son of God was harshly criticized last year after he released scrolls showing that lobbyists paid for his new vacation home in the Cayman Islands. Doyle Redland for the Onion Radio News. A woman in South Carolina was convicted uh, of drunk driving and injuring two people in the process of doing so, and she was sentenced to eight years in prison for this. However, the judge included an assignment to that sentence, and the assignment was to read the Bible. Great. Okay, so a judge essentially sentenced a woman to reading the Bible. By the way, that might actually be the worst punishment. Have you ever tried to read the Bible? And then Amos begat cookies and cookies begat something else <laughs> like it goes on and on and on are you hungry is that what's going on? <laughs> no I, as soon as i went with amos i was like mm, famous amos cookies <laughs> i know I can <laughs> <tell>. <laughs> mm. <laughs> believe me the bible is not that interesting second of all uh being an agnostic i'm in favor of her reading the bible because if she reads it she might realize it's not true right like once you get to like oh the seven-headed dragons that's your clue number one that this thing might be a little bit of a fairy tale Okay, you really believe there's seven-headed dragons? And by the way, that's in the New Testament. It's not even in the Old Testament. Okay, so, but should they be, have a public official as part of your penalty make you read the Bible? Of course not. That's ridiculous. No. What if, okay, okay, I can prove my case instantly. What if he had said, okay, now as punishment for your DUI, I'm going to make you read the Quran. <laughs> what do you think the reaction is then? <clears throat> Why could you Sharia laws coming? Right? You may read the Bible. Oh, that's fine. What are you guys talking about? Don't sweat it. She says she was okay with it. You know, that whole notion of separation of church and state is like vanishing so quickly. And, and people, I, I feel like, don't even notice it and are a little accepting of it, right? Yep, of course. So we have the voucher system, you know, being uh, implemented in Louisiana. And basically all of these uh, students, or you're going to use public money to fund private religious schools. That's happening. A judge just sentenced a woman to reading the Bible. That's happening. Like It's incredible how this is all happening, and no one is really fighting out against it. It's like, okay, fine. Let's let uh, Christianity be part of our uh, country. It's just, it's part of our constitution pretty soon. Every time I tell the Loch Ness monster story, people can't believe it, right? They're like, this is the biggest embarrassment to our country. In Louisiana, some of those religious schools are teaching kids. They're the ones getting the uh, vouchers. The kids get sent over to them. As we told you last week, they're teaching the kids that uh, evolution must not be true because the Loch Ness Monster is a dinosaur that coexists with men. That's like, <laughs> that's so dumb, it hurts.
I ain't afraid of your Yahweh. I ain't afraid of your Allah. I ain't afraid of your Jesus. I'm afraid of what you do in the name of your God. I ain't afraid of your churches. I ain't afraid of your temples. I ain't afraid of your praying. I'm afraid of what you do in the name of your God. Rise up, find a higher power. Free up from fear, it will devour you. Watch out for the ego of the hour. The ones who say they know it are the ones who will impose it on you. I ain't afraid. In a letter to the editor in the Sunday Times yesterday, a church elder from the Mormon church said that it was preordained in the Mormon book, the Book of Mormon, that an outsider from the West will come and take over America politically, right. and he welcomes the conflict. And I remember thinking the same thing, what you just said is, well, isn't... Romney, a church elder? I didn't know that he was a bishop. He's a bishop? Yes, a, an, an archbishop. A, an archbishop. Well, how high up is that? It's really That's below up. the it's pope, like, if there's a yeah, pope. It's very close to the top, and he never complained about their policies on having uh, I guess there'd blacks. be a card. He never, he, never, he never really raised any objections to any of the crazy stuff in that religion. No one's ever really quizzed him on just how deeply... Uh, you, if you're an archbishop, you really have to be drinking the Kool-Aid, right? I mean, uh, yeah. you have to believe the tenets. And if an archbishop in the Catholic Church would believe in the Immaculate Conception, he would believe in a lot of things that we know are insane. Yeah. And you have to ask this guy, do you believe in the war between the light and the dark people 600 years ago on this mm. continent that the white people won, of which there's no trace of any kind? Do you believe do you wear their magic underpants, which is a term that I coined on Bill's show, remember in 2000 when did this thing, because they recorded the sacred undergarments. And we called them the magic underpants because they're such a stupid idea. Well, I thought and he we wears know. them. Yes. So you have to ask him, what do you believe? Do you believe the six golden plates? Do you believe, I mean, I mean do you believe in the religion and uh, I heard this too David that they believe there's a guy who is going to representing the Mormon religion come and lead America and change it to the tenets of Mormonism well I'm that, looking I, I don't even know if wow. that's true but you'd have to add nobody asks it's How, all supposed yeah. to be off limits Bishop <laughs> Mitt Romney high priest of the Mormon Church. Well, there you go, high priest. As soon as you get, as soon as you're saying that, you're right next to Grand Kleagle, aren't you? I mean, you're just a step away from the well, Kleagle. Well, I thought it was kind. Of, I didn't know. I didn't know that Marco Rubio once upon a time was a Mormon as well. And they asked him on Meet yeah. the Press this week. I guess was it Meet the Press? I don't know which. Yeah, that was hilarious. Was. He said he left when he was eight. Uh, uh, yes, but when I was eight, yeah, you spir know, spiritual calling to Catholicism when he was twelve. Yes. Really, he was a Mormon in Las Vegas at that age mm -hmm. and he had a calling to go back to uh, Catholicism, a spiritual calling at 12 to go back to Catholicism hmm. and he can't remember when exactly his family came from Cuba mm -hmm. he claims to be a refugee from Castro Rubio claims to be a refugee but that's not true is it no, no. They, they got out of the country while Batista wasn't it two years earlier or something yes. like that yes so right. it means that they had some kind of in with the fascist regime of Batista so yeah. nuns on the bus, that's kind of interesting. And I was talking to Sister Diane Donahue, and I was studying up for the conversation. I found out about Pope Leo and the theory of distributism. Will Ryan, do you know about this? No, no. 
don't. Anybody? We have. Uh, when did when did Pope Leo exist? He would have been around the turn of the 20th century, so like in the 1890s, and he had a <laughs> an encyclical that said, "We don't support the Catholic Church. Doesn't support liberalism, socialism, or communism. What we are behind is the distribution of wealth and power." <laughs> that no concentration of money or authority should be contained within an elite, an aristocracy, a government, or a ruling class, and that money and power should be spread out equally. And it was really at the height of the progressive movement in the United States. And I remember when I was reading this, I thought, okay, that works for me. That's good. Hmm. What about the church? Do you take a position on their money? Well, well nobody's perfect. Yeah. Was he was he a pope for very long? Pope Leo was I don't know. Uh, he was at the pope for quite a long time, I think. <laughs> but that makes sense. I don't and, remember. And Tony Blair, I talked about this with the uh, the sister. Mm -hmm. Tony Blair converted to Catholicism, which made no sense to me, mm -hmm. other than Sherry yeah. Blair is a Catholic, his wife. But after he left the yes, office sir. of the prime minister, after he left, he converts Catholicism because I don't think you can be Prime Minister of England and well actually Disraeli was a Jew the English with their head I mean they got rid of the Catholic Church so there's a Church of England I think if you're the prime aren't you the head of the who's the head of the Church of the, England? Uh, the, king the, queen. the Queen the King and the Queen so that would be tough it was just passed a year ago anyway hmm. I didn't understand why right. Tony Blair converted Catholicism Catholicism but distributism is called the third way uh -huh. And that was the name of Tony Blair's political philosophy, the third way. Really? Different meaning in porn. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the third way is what Blair and Clinton introduced to, the, to politics as a way of saying, we'll take a little from Thatcher and a very, very, very little from the liberal wings of our party and we'll have this third way mm -hmm. and that's what pope mm -hmm. leo was preaching a third way which is distributism well, do we have people still listening yeah <laughs> <laughs> we are I, distributing all the interest <laughs> what were you going to well, say kevin I'm that, well uh, a lot of smart people people who i artistically like tsl be like they did convert to catholicism later in life and it, it's it's a i i don't understand it I, uh, really, I don't yeah, I don't get understand it. what it, what would be the allure as I get older of Catholicism that I hadn't seen when I was a younger. A rich intellectual tradition. There's that, and mm -hmm. I think it's all of the uh, trappings and all of the rituals and everything else must be comforting as you're getting closer to the dirt pit. You know, there's a lot of stuff that is fun to do. It's like having a you know building model ships or you know quitting drinking but then picking up coffee, espresso, and getting really into all of the various. It replaces ritual, replaces it comforting mm. to do all the ritual. I go to the church, we do the things. There's, you know, the Latin. It's a smart intellectual religion in as much as you can be, I guess. And uh, but the people I guess we're thinking of comforting they, them. But I don't get, I don't get these late life conversions. Were they all British? Um, you mentioned no. Elliot. I mentioned Chesterton. Yeah. Oh, Graham Greene. Maybe that's religion. part of it. Yeah, yeah. I don't pay that much attention. I don't, you know, I don't like, you know, religion. To me, I think it's something you've, you know. 
you should figure it out. I can be, I can see being scared back into it when you get to be a certain age, maybe. But I do think, like now, I can't read books that are about people with religious problems, like Graham Greene. When the guy, when the character's whole thing is having a wrestling match with whether there is or is not a God, what are your faith and all that, I go, really, you're still yeah. thinking about that? I mean, I, you know, I, I, I go, ah, come on, I feel throw it away. Yeah, the mask of Demetrius. I yeah, it's like a problem I don't want to read about anymore. What's the mask of Demetrius? <laughs> oh, it was one of his earlier ones. One of his earlier funnier ones. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> wasn't about, it wasn't funny, but it, 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 it didn't have this angst, this kind of. Well, no, I think we should introduce right. religion. After talking to nuns on the bus, I am thoroughly convinced now we should introduce religion. Into in the political discourse. Absolutely. Okay. Let's discuss the teachings of yeah. Christ. You want to call this a Christian nation? Let's go for it. Let's talk food stamps, hmm. yeah. universal health insurance, yeah. sure. being kind Stop to building aliens. all these prisons. Mm -hmm. well, yeah. Hold. Get rid of capital punishment. I think it's a good idea. And render have. unto Caesar to which... That is Caesar's. Pay taxes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, right. No, that's a good idea. People should be held accountable to their belief. They just say things. I believe my faith is strong, you know. Well, my faith. You go, well, what is it? What is your faith? What exactly do you believe? Why we can't talk to you about it? You just get to say it like, I have a very strong faith. Yeah. Well, what is it? Do you believe in the underpants or not? I mean, we, we need to know what your faith is. All that is important for <laughs> you to know is that I'm like this yeah, with I, the Creator. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal, it will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. Radical left-wing deathers claiming presidential contender Mitt Romney will one day enter a Mormon afterlife realm named Kolob instead of a Christian heaven received a copy of a voucher sent from the Kolob hierarchy today. News Bullet correspondent Chip Whistler has more. Stan, Kolob says Romney is all set to get his own planet, plus another 20 vacation planets when he gets to Kolob. Plus, he can keep his money and his cars. The downside is the angels on Kolob get to eat his wife's horses. Oh, wow, Chip. That's, uh, that's pretty, uh, wow. This HowdyLand.com news bullet was baptized by complete strangers in Salt Lake City just moments ago. I'm Stan Douglas. I'm sure you can all remember that John Lennon urged us, imagine there's no heaven, it's easy if you try, no hell below us, above us only sky. But it turns out 
Americans aren't turning to Leninism any faster than Leninism. Today, 81% say they believe in heaven, an increase of 10% since a decade ago. Of those, 71% say it is an actual place. In fact, 43% believe they're pets. Their cats, rats and snakes are headed into the hereafter with them to be stroked for eternity. America's branch of heaven is crammed full, even as the European and Asian wings are long since dissolved by the brisk winds of reason and scepticism. So, why can't Americans get over the pearly gates? That's what I want to think about. In this book, Heaven, that came out last year by Newsweek's religion correspondent Lisa Miller, she kind of, she kind of offers this fascinating millennia-long history of the idea of heaven, spliced with some kind of mediocre reporting on present-day believers. At its core... It is a very politely administered slap to the American consensus. The heaven you think you're headed to, a reunion with your lost relatives in the light, is actually a very recent invention. It's only a little bit older than Goldman Sachs. Most of the believers in heaven across most of history would have found it totally incomprehensible and unrecognisable. It turns out that heaven is a constantly shifting shape because it is a history of subconscious human longings. Show me your heaven and I'll show you what's lacking in your life. The desert dwellers who wrote the Bible and the Quran lived in thirst, so their heavens were forever running with rivers and, and fountains and springs. African-American slaves believed they were headed for a heaven where the first would be last and the last would be first, so they would be the free men dominating white slaves. Today's Islamist suicide bombers live in a society starved of sex, so their heaven is a 72 virgin gangbang, Emily Dickinson, my favourite poet, wrote, Heaven is what I cannot reach, the apple on the tree, provided it do hopeless hang, that heaven is to me. We know precisely when this story of projecting our lack into the sky began, 165 BC, patented by the ancient Jews. Until then, heaven, Shamayim, was the home of God and his angels, Occasionally, God would descend from it to give orders and indulge in a little bit of light smiting, but there was a strict no-dead-people-door policy. Humans did not get in, and they didn't expect to. The best you could hope for after death was for your bones to be buried with your people in a shared tomb and your story to go on through your descendants. It was a realistic, humanistic approach to death. You go, but your people live on. So, how did the idea of heaven as a perfect place where God lives and where you end up if you live right rupture this reality? The different components of it have been floating around in the atmosphere of Jerusalem looking for a home, as Miller puts it, for a while. The Greeks had believed there was an eternal soul that ascended when you die. The Zoroastrians had believed you would be judged in the end time for your actions on earth. The Jews believed in an almighty Yahweh. But it took a big, bloody bang to fuse all these aspects together. In the run-up to Heaven's invention, the Jews were engaged in a long civil war over whether to open up to the Greeks and their commerce or to remain sealed away, insular and pure. With no winner in sight, King Antiochus got pissed off. He invaded and he tried to wipe out the Jewish religion entirely, replacing it with worship of Zeus. The Jews saw that all that was most sacred of them was being shattered. They were ordered to sacrifice swine before a statue of Zeus that now dominated the Holy Temple. The Jews who refused were hacked down Rwanda-style in the streets. Many young men fled into the hills of Palestine to stage a guerrilla assault. 
now remembered, obviously, as the Hanukkah story. The old Jewish tale about how you continue after you die was itself dying. Your bones couldn't be gathered by your ancestors anymore, with so many Jews scattered and on the run. So suddenly death took on a new terror. Was this it? Were all these lives ending forever for nothing? One of the young fighters, known to history only as Daniel, announced that the martyred Jews would actually receive a great reward. Many of those who sleep in the dust shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt, he wrote, and launched us on the road to the best-selling 1990s trash 90 Minutes in Heaven. Daniel's idea was wildly successful. Within a century, most Jews believed in heaven, and the idea has never died. But while the key components of heaven were in place, it was not the Kumbaya holiday camp it's become today. It was a place where you and God and the angels sat, but Jesus warned, quote, there is no marriage in heaven, end quote. You didn't join your relatives. It was you, it was God, and it was eternal prayer. It was paradise, but not as we know it. Even some atheists regard heaven as one of the least harmful religious ideas, a soothing blanket to press onto the brow of the bereaved. But in fact, its primary function for centuries was, a tool, was as a tool of control and intimidation. The Vatican, for example, declared that it had a monopoly on St. Peter's VIP list, and only those who obeyed the church authorities every command and paid the massive sums for get-out-of-hell-free cards would get themselves and their children into it. The afterlife was a means of tyrannising people in this life. This use of heaven as a bludgeon long outlasted the Protestant Reformation. Miller points out that in Puritan New England, heaven wasn't primarily a comfort, but rather a way to impose discipline here on earth. It still gets used that way. For example, Mormons order women within their ranks who try to argue for full equality to recant, and if they don't, they're told they'll be sent to a separate afterlife from their families for all of eternity. There's some really heartbreaking examples in Miller's book of that. Worse still, the promise of heaven is used every day as an incentive for people who want to commit atrocities. I've seen this in practice. I've met wannabe suicide bombers from London to Gaza, and they all launched into reveries about the orgy they'll embark on in the clouds. Similarly, I was once sent, as my own personal purgatory, to go on the Christian Coalition Solidarity Tour of Israel, and as we stood at Megiddo, the site described in the Book of Revelation as the launch pad for the apocalypse, they bragged that hundreds of thousands of Arabs would soon be slaughtered there, while George Bush and his friends are raptured up to heaven as a reward for leading the Arabs to their deaths. Heaven can be an inducement to horror. When she's tracking the history of these ideas, Miller is highly competent, but she also interweaves a kind of travelogue across America, during which she interviews believers in heaven, and here the book becomes just insufferable. She describes herself as a professional sceptic, but she is in fact, in this respect, professionally credulous. Instead of trying to tease out what these fantasies of an afterlife reveal about her, her interviewees, she, quiz she just quizzes everyone about heaven, as if she's planning to write a lonely planet guide to the area, demanding more and more intricate details. She only just stops at demanding to know what the carpeting will be like, but she never asks the obvious question, which is, where's your evidence? Where are you getting these ideas from? She gives loads of proof that the idea of heaven can be comforting or beautiful, but obviously that doesn't make it right. The difference between wishful thinking and fact-seeking is something most six-year-olds can grasp, but Miller, it seems, and a lot of the time the heaven-seeking majority, refuse it. Obviously, I would like to see my friends and relatives who died again. 
I would also like there to be world peace and million dollars in my checking account and for Matt Damon to ask me to marry him. If I took my longing as proof that they were going to happen, you'd think I was deranged. One of Miller's interviewees says rationalist questions are not helpful, and that, that interviewee is a professor at Harvard. This seems to be Miller's view too. She stresses that to believe in heaven, you have to make a leap of faith. But in what other field in life do we abandon all need for evidence? Why do it in one so crucial to your whole sense of existence? And if you're going to leap beyond proof, why leap to the Christian heaven? Why not convince yourself you're going to live after death in Narnia or Middle Earth, for which there's just as much evidence? She doesn't explain how arguments dissolve into this kind of feel-good New Age drizzle. Now, Miller does cast a quick eye over the only evidence that believers in heaven do offer. Obviously, I say evidence in inverted commas. The testimonies of people who've had near-death experiences. According to the medical journal The Lancet, between 9% and 18% of people who've had near-death experiences report entering a tunnel, seeing a bright light, and so on. It reminds me of the one of my favourite films when I was a teenager, Flatliners, uh, which is a great film, I must rewatch it. Dinesh D'Souza, in his ludicrous book Life After Death, presents all this as proof for heaven. But in fact, there are clear scientific explanations. It turns out that as the brain shuts down, it's the peripheral vision that goes first, giving the impression of a tunnel. The centre of your vision is what remains, giving the impression of a bright light. Indeed, as Miller concedes, virtually all the features of a near-death experience, the sense of moving through a tunnel, an out-of-body feeling, spiritual or visual hallucinations, intense memories, can be reproduced with a stiff dose of ketamine, the horse tranquilizer that's a popular party drug. Is a stone teenager in a K-hole in contact with God and on a day trip to heaven? Obviously not. Should the religious be dropping horse dope on Sundays to get there? But Miller soon runs scared from the sceptical implications of this, offering the strange balance of finding one very odd scientist who says that these experiences could point beyond life. Miller also only scratches the great conceptual hole at the heart of heaven. After a while, wouldn't it be unbelievably fucking boring? When you live in the desert, a spring seems like paradise, but when you've had this spring for a thousand years, won't you be sick of it? Heaven is, in George Orwell's words, an attempt to produce a perfect society by an endless continuation of something that had only been valuable because it was temporary. Take away that contrast and heaven becomes hell. And yet, of course I understand why so many people want to believe in heaven even now. It's a way, however futilely, of trying to escape the awful emptiness of death, as Philip Larkin put it, not to be here, not to be anywhere, and soon, nothing more terrible, nothing more true. Yes, there is a pain in seeing this, but there's also, I think, a liberation in seeing beyond the childhood myths of our species. In the Epic of Gilgamesh, written in Babylon 4,000 years ago, the eponymous hero travels into the gardens of the gods in an attempt to discover the secret of eternal life. His guide tells him the secret. There is no secret. This is it. This is all you're going to get. This life. This time. Once. Enjoy your life, the goddess Siduri tells him. Love the child who holds you by your hand and give your wife pleasure in your embrace. It's John Lennon's dream, four millennia ahead of schedule. Above his only sky, Gilgamesh returns to the world and lives more intensely and deeply than before, knowing there's no celestial after party and no forever. After all this time, wouldn't it be better to finally follow Gilgamesh?
Jay. This is Chris from Michigan. Just thinking about the whole Bill Moyers interviews and the whole conservative versus liberal thinking. And one of the things I kind of came up with, as simplistic as this is, is just how liberals and conservatives see the government. The liberals see the government as good to protect the less advantaged, while the conservatives see that individuals need protection from the government. And those two ideas really don't gel very well, especially in today's society. It seems like, at least over the past few years, liberals become less fanatic and conservatives more fanatic or just not even looking at the facts. But I think instead of looking at the one, and I'm not going to beat up on Jonathan Haidt because I think you know it's been done a lot already. Um, he had a Bill Moyers had another interview on April 20th called "The Case for Old School Faith and Politics," where he had um, one liberal on there discussing the history of liberalism and what's going wrong with it today, and a conservative Christian on there describing his reasons why he thinks in a conservative way. It really opened my mind and eyes to see how the different sides really view things and where these thinkings came from, or these thoughts came from. Just thought I'd throw that in there. Love the show, and you guys have a great day. Hey, Jay, this is Jessica from New York. I love the show. Um, I'm calling about two topics. Uh, one, I liked what you had said about how not all conservatives are crazy or, you know, if we don't agree or understand with their point, it is based on or it could be sometimes based on some kind of logical process. I wanted to point out what I thought might be a blind spot in that reasoning, which would be uh, religious folks. I'm a former Christian and still have conversations with other people in the church and I find that, you know, their opinions, whether on evolution or any social issues, are really not based on logic and, you know, they're not even supposed to be based on logic. They're based on current interpretations of this ancient document. And um, kind of frustrating, I had had a conversation with a religious person recently and um, I made what I thought were some good points and they were completely ignored, you know, and, and I know that it didn't shake or, you know, do anything to convince this person in any way because he was sure of his faith and um, logic really wasn't a part of that. And he wasn't crazy, he wasn't stupid, he just, you know, that's how he thought. And um, I think that was just a, a, another point to that uh, pretty good argument that you had made about trying to understand the other side. Um, the second issue I wanted to talk about was on privilege. I've been listening to a lot of the voicemails for a while now um, on privilege, and I wanted to mention Peggy McIntosh's article, White Privilege and Male Privilege, Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack. You can Google it. Um, I would highly recommend this article to all of your listeners. It changed my whole perspective on privilege completely. Um, it's very short, and she also gives a list of actual privileges that you have as a white person. And a couple of them are, uh, let's see, she says, I can go shopping alone most of the time, pretty well assured that I will not be followed or harassed. I can turn on the television or open to the front page of the paper and see people of my race widely represented. I can swear or dress in secondhand clothes or not answer letters without having people attribute these choices to the bad morals, the poverty, or the illiteracy of my race. 
I can do well in a challenging situation without being called a credit to my race. I can remain oblivious of the language and customs of persons of color who constitute the world's majority without feeling in my culture any penalty for such oblivion. If a traffic cop pulls me over or if the IRS audits my tax return, I can be sure I haven't been singled out because of my race. I can easily buy posters, postcards, picture books, greeting cards, dolls, toys, and children's magazines featuring people of my race. Um, there are 26 examples she gives of white privilege. Um, those were just a few. So she, uh, she also says, and again, this is Peggy McIntosh, um, for this reason, the word privilege now seems to be misleading. We usually think of privilege as being a favored state, whether earned or conferred by birth or luck. Yet some of the conditions I have described here work to systematically over-empower certain groups. Such privilege simply confers dominance because of one's race or sex. So again, you know, that's, it's no, uh, it's, it's nothing that, people are doing wrong it just is the state of reality and McIntosh talks about how uh, we are trained to not notice white privilege and men are trained to not notice male privilege um, you know and there have been a couple of other articles published based on McIntosh's um, white privilege and male privilege article one I found on um, and I, I don't know who it's by but it's uh, on heterosexual privilege and there's a similar list of things that we can count on. You know, for example, I don't have to defend my heterosexuality. Um, people of my gender do not try to convince me to change my sexual orientation. So um, looking at privilege in this way really helped me personally to understand it. And um, I think it could be a light bulb moment for some of your listeners. So again, Peggy McIntosh, White Privilege and Male Privilege, Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack. Um, Jay, I love the show. Keep up the great work. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So today is almost certainly going to be the last day I continue this conversation about, you know, different perspectives, liberal versus conservative and how people see the world. Uh, but I want to finish this conversation by telling a story that I've told before, but it's worth retelling. And it's how I came to understand, you know, at least one aspect of, of why conservatives will often be very forgiving of those in their own ranks who, you know, show rank hypocrisy when it comes to, you know, standing up and running for office as the candidate of family values. And then they turn out, you know, to, to be the ones, uh, you know, sleeping with hookers or whatever, you know, you go down the list of, of all the things that um, those guys have been caught doing. And and it, it's always bizarre when their colleagues or, or supporters will then back them up, even though they they hold themselves to to these like you know ridiculous standards, and then fail so dramatically that they should be a laughing stock, but they're not, uh, at least oftentimes. And so so actually, I came to somewhat of an understanding of that phenomenon by reading none other than a political cartoon. And so this cartoon is actually, it's a conservative cartoon, which is why it gives a little bit of insight into how some conservatives see this situation. And so if you're listening on the enhanced version of the show with chapter markers and you can see images uh, scroll on the screen, I'm going to put the 
cartoon on the show right now uh, so you can see it for yourself but for everyone else I'll just describe it's uh, you know so it's the two parties a donkey and, a, and an elephant and they're doing the high jump you know like in like the Olympic sport and uh, so they're, they're doing the high jump right next to each other and the donkey's bar is set at the lowest level and the elephant's bar is set at the highest level so of course the donkey is able to jump over easily and the elephant, as hard as he tries, he's jumping very, very high and just barely knocks the bar off and, and uh, you know, so does not surpass the bar that, that's set for him. And the bar says moral standards on it. And so uh, because the elephant is knocking off his moral standards bar that was set at the highest rung, the donkey is calling the elephant a hypocrite. And I realize that if that is the perspective you have of the world, then it sort of makes sense to be forgiving of those who, you know, fail to reach their highly set moral standards. You know, it's it still seems twisted to me, but it's like, you know, you consider your high moral standards to be, I have a family and that's a good thing and I don't cheat on my family. And then they accidentally do cheat on their family. Well, they say, well, but he's, his standards were set really, really high for himself. So the fact that he didn't quite maintain those standards is forgivable because he was really trying. Whereas the Democrats, they don't even try to have morals. And so, like I said, it's pretty twisted for anyone who would subscribe to this sort of idea to say like, oh, well, that's right. Like Democrats, of course they can reach the goal they've set for themselves because they barely set a goal at all because they don't have morals. And so, you know, it's, it's revolting, I, I, I think, but that it sort of comes to the crux of what this whole conversation has been about is, you know, rather than looking at the other side and saying they clearly don't have morals because of, you know, look at how they act. Uh, and that accusation can go in both directions you know, the the truth is that everyone has their own set of morals that they believe in, and that's what sort of guides everyone. Uh, you know, what what I always like to say is that no one thinks they're the bad guy. Even Darth Vader thought he was trying to just bring balance to the galaxy. You know, he didn't think he was the evil guy. So that'll be it for this conversation unless some bombshell of an amazing comment comes in to uh, 206-202-3410. And that'll do it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening and uh, to those who support the show by becoming a member or donor. That is how the show survives. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, in DC. My name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Just a fond friend.